podcast intent for information on educational purposes only, not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple credible sources. Cross reference wormlet your almost accurate hypothesis. Evans can support always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the actual PT podcast, where actual problems meet actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flocken. Hello, actual PT Nation. It's your host, Troy Linden, Taylor Flocken Flocken. How you doing, Taylor Flocken 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 Flocken? Oh, Mr. LaCroix, I'm doing pretty darn good today. Um, But I have to say, it's been a while since we've spoken to the nation. It's been a bit, Chuck. We uh, recently just moved again. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we like to move every uh, every couple months, keep it fresh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to stay, don't want to get comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we just enjoy being constantly uncomfortable always on that grind yeah always. <laughs> always on the grind but so now we're coming at you from jackson wyoming wow aren't we chuck the jackson hole the wyoming. jackson's hole wyoming yes. absolutely uh what yes. are we talking about today roy today we are talking about a very common neurologic disorder one that i see literally every day majority of my day which is parkinson's disease taylor do you know much about parkinson's disease taylor I know, uh, I know a dollop or two. You know a, a dollop of Daisy there, Chuck. <laughs> I, know, I know a dollop or two of Parkinson's. Good, yeah, good, good. Yeah. Well, let's just get into it. So we hear Taylor talk a little less. Um, so <laughs> Parkinson's disease, as I said, I work with it very often in uh, my inpatient uh, experience or my practice. And Parkinson's disease is a neurologic or a neuro- neurodegenerative disease that is caused due to the destruction of dopaminergic neurons um, in the substantia nigra or basal ganglia. Um, so basically what's happening is you're getting a decrease in the production of dopamine mm-hmm. as well as the deposit of, they're called a synucleon proteins basically it's just called lewy bodies a lot of people have heard that out there so you're getting plaques lewy body plaques laid down in this one part of your brain called the basal ganglia oh what's that thing do so that basal ganglia it basically dictates your voluntary motor control your motor learning your executive functions your behaviors your emotions stuff like that so it's extremely important to you as a human being specifically movement based yeah yeah does that make sense to you taylor Uh, that sounds about right okay and so what's happening is you get because there's these plaques being laid down in the basal ganglia Mm. it is affecting your production of dopamine which then affects movement which we will get to in just a second um for diagnosis of parkinson's uh usually it's kind of a combination of motor function signs and symptoms which we're going to get to in a second But there's also a bunch of new evidence that is coming out um, for early recognition of Parkinson's disease. And this usually occurs um, with regards to non-motor symptoms, which can be autonomic dysfunction, sleep disturbances, and cognitive and uh, psychiatric disturbances. Um, So one systematic review I just found is called The Correlation Between... Parkinson's disease and rapid eye movement sleep behavior disorder, a systematic review by Nikki uh, Shrestha et al. And basically it just goes in to say how 
um, rapid eye movement sleep disorder or REM sleep disorders uh, is coming to find that it is a huge part of early diagnosis. So people with Parkinson's pre-diagnosed Parkinson's disease, before mm. you even get these movement disorders, they found that you have disruption in your REM sleep. Basically, during REM sleep, normally our body's in almost paralysis and mm. our body, this is like one of the deepest parts of our sleep. And people with this this um, dysfunction in their REM sleep, it, they're actually moving a lot and they're li- moving out, acting out these dreams and they're having po- a poorer and poorer quality of sleep, which is one of the earliest signs of Parkinson's. And they're trying, they're finding out that that things such as that um, losses of sense of smell is another one, mm. which no, I just no, found no, recently. No COVID, huh? No, no COVID on this one, Chuck. <laughs> huh. Weird. <laughs> um, but anyways, these are some of the best ways to find early diagnosis, which we kind of lack at currently in yeah in Western medicine. Yeah, because it's not like there's like one. It's not like there's a blood test you can take and be yeah. like ah. Yeah, yeah, this person has Parkinson's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Currently, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like you, as Taylor's about to cover what this and what the person looks like, usually what happens is we start seeing these movement behaviors from mm-hmm. the individual, and then we're able to identify it. And usually at this point, it's already progressed along because there's stages of this mm-hmm. disorder. It affects, they have it in, there's four different stages. Stages one and two are when the non-motor effects occur uh, three is when motor effects start to occur. And then four is when you're really severe and you start mm-hmm. to get kind of mental, uh, yeah. you know, severe hallucinations, uh, dementia, stuff of that. But like I said, usually we don't even start diagnosing this thing until you're already in phase three or stage three of this, this yeah. onset, which is pretty late into it usually. Yeah. And that's pretty uh, good to hear about the uh, rapid eye movement. I heard a whole lot about that. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. There's a, uh, another like, kind of like loose uh, clinical signs sometimes uh, that I'd read about uh, with adhesive capsulitis. Oh. Um, frozen shoulder can actually sometimes be an early sign. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know uh, much more than that, but just a little <laughs> extra tidbit thrown in there. Yeah. yeah. And um, this is going to be just a, just an FYI for the listeners. This is going to be kind of a real general, real broad look at Parkinson's because you can spend all day going down a rabbit hole on this thing, which yeah. is fine if you want to have at it. Have fun. There's a lot to read. Yeah. If you find out more information, just shoot it towards us. We can have a conversation. But uh, anyways, so like I said, for diagnosis for what this, it, it largely lies on what this patient looks like. And we need Taylor to tell us what this patient looks like a little bit, huh? Well, and I'm not get, only going to tell you what they look like. But I'm also going to tell you a little bit what they sound like. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Uh, whoa, I have a cat here. Not that sound. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that sound. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, a lot of times uh, with Parkinson's patients, their uh, feet will uh, scuff the ground as they're taking steps. And so you can kind of hear them coming. They aren't going to be sneaking up on anyone. Not at all. But, I mean, that, that's that's just kind of like a general, real general thing that may or may not affect all people who have it. The thing that will be evident in pretty well all patients who have Parkinson's, there's four of them. Uh, rigidity, like, you know, let's say you're completely relaxed and you go to, somebody goes to move your arm, it should move pretty freely. People with Parkinson's, even when they're fully relaxed, it does not move very easily. And it, and it's solid. Uh, was that lead pipe rigidity? Yeah. Where they're trying, it almost feels like they're Mm -hmm. fighting you. 
Yep, exactly. And you're like, you're telling them to relax. I'm like, dude, I am. Yeah. Um, the next one is bradykinesia. Uh, breaking down that word a little bit, brady just means slow, kinesia means movement. So slow movement. This is a slow moving person. They're not in a rush to slow go do walking, anything. Slow walking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is a tremor, which, and they have a intention tremor, uh, if I remember right there, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that intention tremor, essentially what that means is, is that whenever they go to do something, it goes away immediately. Yes. Um, but whenever they're just sitting there, relaxing, resting, there's a little twitch. Usually uh, one side more than the other. Yep. One side is always usually more affected mm-hmm. than the other. Yep. And the very last thing, postural instability. And I think that that really goes back to the first two things we talked about, that rigidity and bradykinesia. When a person with um, more progressed Parkinson's, like let's say they fall, they literally fall like a tree. Yes. They they just go down timber, they hit the ground. Yeah. Um there there's no protection, there's no like folding up of the body, uh no reflexes, they just fall. Yeah. Um and also kind of like uh talking about this person and a little more about the way they walk. A lot of times they'll display what we call a festinating gait pattern. Correct. Uh-huh. Their uh, feet will start moving faster mm-hmm. and faster and faster, almost like to try and catch up with the because they're leaning forward and to keep them from falling. And so they kind of get out of control really, really, really fast. But their t- steps are so small. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting little walk. Yeah. And a lot of their falls in this population occur backwards because they go to they go to lean backwards or move backwards and it's almost like their feet are stuck to the floor. Mm-hmm. And so they go to step. And like you said, with those tiny steps, imagine trying to imagine your body, your upper body moving backwards as if you're just walking backwards normally to open a door or something. Yeah. And your feet moving an an inch or half an inch at a time and trying to take 60 steps to catch up with your one big movement of your upper body. It's just not going to work. Yeah. And usually down they go. Ooh. Yeah. And I guess like the last little factor I want to talk about uh, what this uh, person looks like um, is they also with their gait, they'll have what we call a freezing of gait episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, This most commonly occurs when there's like a change in the floor pattern. So like going from hardwood to carpet. Or turning. Or turning. A lot of it's turning. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of interesting clinically, um, I might be getting ahead of myself on treatment, but um, with the freezing of gait patterns, um, having the person either literally drop something on the floor or to have them look at a crack and to imagine stepping over it, telling the person Mm -hmm. to do that, for whatever reason, it seems to break up that pattern. Yeah, and Um, that kind of gets into treatment. But yeah, they do respond to visual and auditory curing extremely well. Yeah. Well, but, well, yeah. depending on how severe it is, it depends how well they mm-hmm. respond. But better than you think it. Better th- than you think they would. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and with that, just a little tidbit for the postural instability. <clears throat> a lot of these people you'll see they're just constantly leaning backwards or leaning left or leaning right. Like that's just their constant posture because mm-hmm. they're unable to stabilize themselves or even identify that they are not in the proper posture where they should be. A lot of these people, you're just constantly cueing them, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward, and it lasts for a second. And the next thing you know, they're slunched in, sl- uh, slouched in their chair, lean back, lean forward, lean mm-hmm. one way, and you just have to, it's almost impossible to keep them in the perfect posture. Oh, geez. Um, 
Well, um, I think before we get into treatment, um, a little bit, maybe, maybe like an extra tidbit on what this person looks like. Uh, these are almost just like more fun facts. Cause yeah. it's one of the weird things about Parkinson's is that um, some of the things that are normally uh, helpful and beneficial are actually uh, negative for, um, for developing Parkinson's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, higher education is one of them. Uh, sometimes uh, this has been uh, called uh, just like in passing, like a doctor's disease because mm. uh, it's associated with higher levels of education. Also, smoking is helpful for the prevention of Parkinson's. Yes, smoking and high levels of exercise, which usually those two things don't go anywhere near each other. <laughs> but those are two things that you can do to decrease your risk of Parkinson's, which I find kind of comical. And to be clear, we are not suggesting you should pick up smoking not to decrease your... Not at all. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend the high levels of exercise first. Yeah, yeah. But... Start start with that and then, you know, consider smoking later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, just just joking. Don't, don't take that serious. Yeah, don't okay. smoke. Nobody smoke. Yeah, it's please don't do that. Um, yeah, uh, so I guess like uh, jumping on treatment, unless you have anything else. No, I think move right along. Oh, uh, usually people with... So they found a correlation between certain jobs and decreased risk of, par- risk of Parkinson's. And these were all labor type jobs. So mm-hmm. job like your, your construction workers, your like anything where you're basically not using your minimum, you're minimally using your brain with regards to new uh, education, learning new things, mm-hmm. applying new techniques, um, which is goes back to that education part, um, which is kind of funny and kind of weird, but. It is what yeah. it is, I guess. Well, I think it makes sense for the highly active jobs, uh, just with the correlation of exercise. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're walking. Yeah, I mean, usually the higher education you're in, mm-hmm. uh, the less active you are in. With Absolutely. It, it, when, yeah, when you look at a full week of movement, how many steps you're taking, right. how many things you're picking up, lifting. Mm-hmm. When you look at a construction worker, you know they're they are constantly moving all yeah. day, every day. Which, yeah, like you said, kind of supports everything we already talked about. Yeah. Um, okay then, uh, going on to treatment. So, uh, I guess we'll, I'll start with the stuff that we do not do in physical therapy. And this is stuff that the neurologist, uh, definitely neurologist. I probably wouldn't want a GP, uh, managing this one. No, we see it a lot, but we don't want you to. You you should have a neurologist, even if, uh, even if they're several hours away, you should have someone you're checking in with every, Every so often with this disease. Yeah, sometimes, usually during, upon early diagnosis, it's almost, it's weekly. Yeah. Just trying to get meds and everything yeah, right. dialed in, yeah. Yeah, which uh, if you are early on in the do- in the diagnosis, uh, we'll probably be going for uh, dopamine agonists as medication of choice. Yep. Yep. And the main reason we start with this, it's not that they're the most effective. They're not. Not even close. But it's mostly to hold off on the use of Cinemet, which... That drug, or also known as what? Uh, carbidopa levodopa. Carbidopa levodopa. Carbidopa levodopa. Yes, uh, Chuck. Um, yeah. So that dr- drug, cinnamon, it has really, really, really rough um, side effects. Oh, that yeah. laundry list. Oh, it's it's huge and devastating and absolutely reduces quality of life. Um, however, um, whenever f- people first start using it, they typically love it. Um, gives, yeah. gives huge amount of relief and us in therapy. We love that because it gives us a window to be able to, uh, really get a lot of good stuff done. Ooh. And I just found a quick, a quick little list. The complications from levodopa therapy, short term, orthostatic hypotension, nausea, constipation, long term, 
the on-off phenomenon, so wearing off. So basically when you're on, you feel great, but the second the drug's not in your system, you like severely rigid. All your symptoms are tenfold. Dyskinesia, so chorea movement. Psych- uh, hallucinations, psych- mm-hmm. uh, psychiatric lapses, and psychosis are the long-term effects. I have personally <laughs> seen some of that. It is, um, yeah, it's, yeah it, it's, it's rough. Really, but, I mean, really the, you rough. Were, at this point, you were, at long term, we were, you don't really have any other choice. But anyways, continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then also, yeah. Uh, then I guess like later on too, um, if medication is seeming to be less effective, uh, there's also surgery for deep brain stimulation. Well, yeah. So, so the I should have like a little tidbit for who's best. Oh. Best prognosis for deep brain stimulation. Give us that. So it's those with lack of dementia, a good response to levodopa, so the medication we were just referring to, cinnamon. Um, hallucinations have not become prominent, and the disease course is greater than five years. So as Taylor mm. said, you've had been living with this for a while. You are not in the severe stage yet. Um, you're still in that kind of level three, kind of that moderate uh, severity, but you're starting to see, as Taylor said, the, the, you responded well to the medication, but you're starting to notice that you're needing higher and higher and higher dosages to get the response you want. Mm. And this is kind of a, I don't want to say a last case scenario because there's a lot of really good evidence on the help of it, but it's also a high risk situation. I've seen a lot of people, there's a high incidence of infection with this. And Mm. if you know anything about infections and brain infections, it is. If that happens, it is kind of a, I don't want to say a death wish, but it is not a good prognosis from there on out, which well, I have seen recently in, in get, a patient or two. Getting uh, getting pretty close to uh, game over is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I've seen a lot of, I've heard and I've seen a lot of research on the benefits. I mean, it's extremely useful in these patients, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah, you're also just rolling the dice, you know, with any surgery, you're rolling the dice, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to the uh, risk benefit uh, ratio. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do for therapy for PTs? What do we do? Well, the things that have the um, best evidence for us to do. Uh, number one, there is a kind of a, I guess, like a boxing class uh, called Rock mm-hmm. City Boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, can find, be found probably in larger cities. Um, it's yeah. at a bunch mm-hmm. of different gyms. Uh, some PT gyms will hold classes, but sometimes you can even find them in just normal places. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that one's usually led by like personal trainers, um, not so much physical therapy. Correct. Yeah. Usually it's mm-hmm. like either a personal trainer or you don't really, it's not this huge uh, certification that you need. Like, mm-hmm. like another thing you're about to cover. Um, yeah. Rockstar boxing is kind of just a, I don't want to say a protocol. It's just a high intensity boxing classes, basically. All yeah. The, the reciprocal movement, you know, going from one arm to the other, uh, the high intensity of it, the high speed, the high amplitude, all that stuff is just positive. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings us to uh, the next thing. Speaking of high amplitude, LSVT, big and loud. <laughs> yes, correct. I'd say it loud. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the whole idea of that, I mean, it's, well, you're certified and you can tell more, but from what I understand, you're just trying to essentially uh, do the opposite of what the disease wants you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, disease wants you to be real kind of bound up, rigid, small amplitude. A lot of times, and the where the loud comes in, a lot of times uh, people with Parkinson's, they get to be very quiet, very just 
Um, they have that flat affect, so not huge amounts of emotion coming through. Um, flat, yeah, flat face. Their their voice ends up doing a lot of what their body does. So as we we're saying, the body makes you, you know, flex forward, smaller movements, slower. The voice does the same thing. You get quieter. You talk slower. You have less uh, personification, less uh, facial expression. And the loud, the LSPT big is the movement portion. And the loud is usually done by speech therapists. It's the, it has a whole like uh, grid. It has a cool computer software with it where they track mm. um, like the amplitude of your voice. And they, you can visually watch it and they do trainings to increase it. And by the end of the protocol, uh, you've usually, their voice is usually back to normal for the most part. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, so LSVT Big, I'm not sure what the exact protocol is for loud, but LSVT Big, for instance, is like an eight week. One, uh, four times a week for eight weeks and an hour per therapy session. And like you said, too, we're just trying to get them working, moving as big and as normal as possible. You're just doing big mm-hmm. movements, big exercises, uh, and retraining, reshaping their body to move mm-hmm. normal, quote unquote normal. And I've, I've just seen videos of this, but y'all kind of get a little bit into the loud too while you're doing that. Cause yeah, a lot they, of times you'll have like loud. the. Yeah, yeah, you'll make the patients yell out what number they're yep, on and stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it all kind of goes. Yeah, I mean, you kind of all kind of goes goes uh, together because we also have them like clap their hands really loud, slap their legs, stomp, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And yeah, I've seen fantastic outcomes with it. But really, that's that's the most that's the largest supporting body of evidence we have for treatment, physical mm-hmm. therapy wise, for this disease. Yeah, um, and. I mean, just two others, uh, swimming and uh, biking, uh, probably stationary bike if they're further along in the disease yeah. as opposed to being out in the wild. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, um, I think those are kind of like the main things. And I mean, of course, within physical therapy, if there are like specific deficits, um, we can also kind of hone in and focus on those more specifically. But um, that's, that's kind of like the big stuff. Um, yeah, that's really what all of our evidence points to at this moment in yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, outside of just like basic impairment-based uh, therapy protocol, however you want to say it. Yeah. And uh, that being said, a future study or a Ooh. current study that has yet to be published that I know of. So I know a guy who knows a guy who... No, no I'm just kidding. I know a guy whose wife is the primary PT in it. Mm-hmm. Um and so nothing's published yet, and I don't even know who the primary funder is. I think it's through University of Utah, but I'm not positive. All I know it's the largest uh, – it's going to be, once published, the largest uh, Parkinson's disease uh, movement-based um, evidence or study completed to date. Um, but at this point, it's not published, so I'll just give you the, what they're finding to this point. Apparently, they're finding that – extremely high intense exercise very very early on in diagnosis so we're talking the inclusion for this study is basically like within the first year or two of diagnosis and they haven't even started medication treatment yet so we're talking extremely on these are people that they barely have symptoms they just kind of happen to find it or they do have symptoms but they aren't severe enough that it's affecting their life and what they're doing is uh, they're taking them through high, high, high intense exercise, like very extreme ex- exercise. And they're finding that 
they're having extremely beneficial outcomes. So they're just doing phenomenal. And they're delaying the need for the, not only the progression of the disease, but they're also delaying the need for medication use um, at all for years. Like they're delaying the onset of this disease drastically. So it does not sound like the uh, producers of Cinemet are funding this. No, 100% not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they make hand over fist over Cinemet. Mm. And yeah, so, and obviously I don't have any more further details because they haven't published a study yet, but um, really, really looking forward to that as to uh, what it can do for fighting Parkinson's and delaying the progression of this disease. Because as we said, it's progressive disease. Once you have it, it's just a steady decline until the end. But um, yeah. this kind of gives us hope that if we can do better, a better job um, with Western medicine in general, with early diagnosis, there's a lot of hope there. A lot of hope. And it doesn't involve smoking. Yes. This one does not. <laughs> smoking cardio. Smoking Next cardio. Study. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh huh. that's really all I have to add, Taylor. That's it. That's all? That's it. You don't even have anything you need to tell people? or No, nope. I mean... Nope. Oh, I, I get to tell them. Well, there's a shameless plug that I'm LSBT big certified, so if you need treatment in Jackson, Wyoming, come to me. But um, other than that, you should probably just finish the rest of it. All right. Um, Always stay classy, actual PT. You know, that actually was a pretty shameful plug, <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> so you're going to tell them to actually stay the classy or what? Actually, stay the classy. Oh yeah, I did tell tell many things. 